Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that is now slow walking through Dante's second third of his masterwork comedy, the third called Purgatorio. We are in the first canto of Purgatorio, and we are at lines 49 through 84, a passage that is revelatory. <laughs> insane. I don't know. It just blows comedy out of the water. We thought we were walking a certain journey, and we're about to find out we're walking a very different journey. This is my English translation of Canto 1, lines 49 through 84 of Purgatorio. You can find it on my website, markscarborough.com. You can read along there. You can print it off. You can drop comments. Otherwise, we're going to continue on with it here. At that point, my master Virgil reached out for me with words, with his hands, even with gestures. He made me show obeisance with my knee and my brow. Then he answered the old man, I didn't come under my own steam. A lady descended from heaven. Because of her prayers, I gave this man my company as his aid. But if you want a more complete explanation of our condition, such as it really is, I'm certainly not the one to deny what you wish. This man hasn't seen his last sunset, although his folly brought him pretty close to it. So close that there was very little time left for him to turn back. As I said, I was given a mandate to go to his aid. There was literally no other way except this one that I've pressed him onto. I've shown him all the enraged peoples, and now I intend to show him those spirits who are purified under your jurisdiction. How I brought him here? That would take a long time to tell. A great power from way up above has come down to help me lead him to the spot where he can see and hear you. May it please you now to hail his arrival. He goes in search of freedom, which is so very precious, as he who has given up his life for it well knows. For you know what I'm talking about, because freedom didn't make your death so bitter back in Utica, where you left the garment that will shine on that glorious last day. We haven't broken any of the eternal edicts, for he's alive, and Minos doesn't bind me. You see, I'm from that circle where your Marcia, with pure eyes, prays that you, O sacred breast, still hold her as your own. Because of her love for you, I pray your favor. Let us go on through your seven realms. I'll report back word of you to her, if you permit yourself to be mentioned way down there below. If you remember in the last episode of this podcast, there was an old man who appeared or emerged or was somehow beside the pilgrim as he looked up at the stars. And that old man then said, how'd you get here? Here's Virgil's reply. This is a crazy passage. So crazy, in fact, that we're going to take two episodes of the podcast to go through it. Essentially, we now know who that lone old man is. It's Cato, the great Stoic. There are problems with Cato's appearance here, to say the least. For one thing, Cato committed suicide. 
why isn't he with Pierre de la Vagna then down in Inferno? For another thing, Cato committed suicide in 46 BCE, long before Jesus. And he wasn't one of those Old Testament or Israelite saints who Christ harrowed out of hell, at least we don't think so. He certainly wasn't one of the Jews living in the promised land. So how is Cato here? This is a question that will bedevil us so much that I'm going to split this passage into two episodes. In this episode of our podcast, I want to focus on Dante and Virgil. In the next episode, I want to focus on Cato and Marcia, who comes up in this passage. That's how we know it's Cato. It's because A, the reference to the suicide, and B, the reference to Marcia, his wife, who we already saw in Limbo. We'll talk about that all in the next episode of this podcast. For now, let's focus on Virgil with a little bit of focus on the pilgrim Dante next to him. Virgil gets the first conversational reply. This old man confronts them, says, how'd you get here? We might have thought that the old man was addressing the pilgrim since they're standing apparently pretty close to each other. And yet Virgil is the one who sets into the explanation. This does several things, and we want to talk about this. But before we get there, we just want to talk about Virgil in purgatory. Remember, I made a big deal when they exited Inferno that Virgil is now out in the well, starlight, eventually the sunlight, but he's out in the open air. He's escaped. And this should just make us, I don't know what, shudder inside. How does Virgil, one of the damned, escape? I want to go all the way back to when Virgil lets us in on this secret and tell you there's a problem in the passage. I'm clear back at Canto 1 of Inferno, and I'm at that moment in which Virgil explains the journey ahead. He has appeared in front of Dante. Dante's been run off by the beast, and Virgil says, you know, well, let's go on, and I think it's wise that you follow me. This is the passage. Listen to this. It, I'm in, at Inferno, Canto 1, line 110 and following. Therefore, for your sake, I think it wise for you, Dante, to follow me, Virgil. I will be your guide, leading you from here through an eternal place where you shall hear despairing cries and see those ancient souls in pain as they bewail their second death. Then, or maybe and, you will see the ones who are content to burn because they hope to come whenever it may be among the blessed. I'm going to stop right there before Virgil goes on to talk about paradise. It's right there that a translation problem happens. It's that, and you will see, a vederai in the text, and you will see the ones who are content, who are happy, who are pleased to burn in the fire. That question of how that verb falls is a little bit funky. You can take it in one of two ways. You can say, Virgil is saying, I will be your guide and I'm going to lead you where you'll see the despairing cries of the damned and where you'll see those purgating themselves. Or you can say it's not connected. And it is, Virgil says, I'll basically take you around where you can see the damned. And then after that, you will see it means you will see on your own. Now, I want to tell you that most translators take it as the first. That is, Virgil says, up front, I'm going to lead you through purgatorio. 
but I think they're making that translation decision based on knowing that Virgil gets here. In the text, it's a little funky in Inferno. And yes, in retrospect, I can say Virgil was supposed to be here all along because I know the plot of comedy. But right back there, I don't know if Dante has fully decided that Virgil gets here yet or not. He certainly is laying out the plan for comedy, hell, purgatory, paradise. But I'm not quite sure of that connective, that and or then in the passage. And I realize that's really dancing on the head of a pin, but it does matter about how much was Dante anticipating Virgil's appearance in Purgatorio. Well, perhaps a lot, because here's Virgil's first big speech, and it's curious in several ways. Let me first tell you that the structure of the first canto of Purgatorio is essentially introductory material, and then the bulk of the canto is a conversation between Virgil and Cato. Now, remember, we're not going to talk about Cato. We're just going to assume this is Cato and pretend there's no problem with that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We're just going to pretend there's no problem with Cato's appearance here. But this is who they are. Well, that's interesting that the first canto is essentially a huge conversation between Virgil and Cato, because Cato is going to come back and reply to Virgil's speech here. And then we're going to finish out the canto with some conclusive, vaguely conclusive material. So the center is a dialogue between two father figures. Remember, Virgil has had this paternalistic figuring toward the pilgrim Dante. But we've been told that Cato, this lone old man, looks like a father who deserves a lot of reverence. There's several questions here. One, apparently Dante doesn't recognize Cato. Apparently when Dante turns and sees this old man next to him, he doesn't know who it is because it is Virgil who leaps into action, pushing Dante down, pushing him down so that he does obeisance. We're going to come back to that. Obeisance to Cato. All right. That's interesting that Virgil recognizes Cato. How? How does Virgil recognize Cato? In Inferno, we had a backstory. Remember, Virgil says he got sent all the way down to the bottom by Erichtho once when he had to retrieve a soul and bring a soul back up. So ostensibly, everything on the journey through Inferno has already been experienced by Virgil, and that's why he's a good guide. What happens now? What happens on the shores of Purgatorio? I can guarantee you Virgil's never been here. How does he recognize Cato? That's a huge question, and we're going to save it for the next couple episodes. But I don't think you should just dismiss it and say, oh, Virgil, he knows everything. No, Dante's smarter than that. The plot's more complicated than that. But there's another little bit here that's troubling, and that is way down in line 82. Virgil basically says, let us go on through your seven realms. How does Virgil know there are seven realms to purgatory? He's never been here. He's not a Christian. He wouldn't have any access to revelation. How does Virgil know what he knows? It just 
bugs the heck out of me. Can't you tell? Has Virgil become more than Virgil over the course of Inferno? Has he become more of a guide in a divine, almost angelic sense? That doesn't seem right, but I can't hardly account for how Virgil knows what he knows. But I can tell you this. In this passage that we're on, Virgil is definitely established as the guide. I mean, just the way it starts out. At that point, my master Virgil reached out for me with words, with hands, with gestures. I mean, he's doing everything he can, right? He's grabbing the pilgrim. He's saying, get down, get down, get down. He's pushing him down. He made me show obeisance with my knee and brow. Dante kneels down in front of Cato. Right there, Virgil is being established as our guide figure, but the shift is interesting. This isn't a guide who already has been here uh, in Inferno. Virgil is sort of a tour guide. He's a little bit of a theological guide, too, but he's sort of a tour guide. He's been over this bit of territory once before. He knows the way. He knows what to do, even though now the bridges are down in places. He knows what to do with Carrion. Here... We're being told Virgil's our guide, but questions remain. How is Virgil our guide? Let's talk about that obeisance bit, you know, pushing the pilgrim down to knee and brow, making him bow down in front of Cato. Dante the Pilgrim is abased here in ways that he isn't even in front of some of the saints up in paradise. Dante doesn't put on this much of a show in front of the big, and I don't just mean the redeemed, I mean the big saints in paradise. What's going on here? If we just tease this out, there are several answers we can make, and they require a bit of uh, conjectural work. So let me posit one answer, that Virgil's attempt to make Dante the Pilgrim show obeisance is a mistake. It's Virgil's mistake. Virgil, being a pagan, doesn't understand the levels of reverence of the redeemed, that there's your standard redeemed, then there's your saints, then your angels, then God. Virgil doesn't know this hierarchy, but he does seem to know the seven realms. So how could this be a mistake? But you could say this is a mistake since Dante, again, doesn't show this level of obeisance to even some of the big saints up in paradise. Maybe. But if it is a mistake, then we would expect Cato to correct it. If Virgil pushes Dante down and it's not supposed to happen, then we would expect Cato to say, hey, it's okay. You don't have to bow down in front of me. There's a second thin little bit of commentary that we're going to throw in here. They're going to have to save for the next uh, episode of this podcast. And that is, well, maybe Cato's not redeemed. Maybe Virgil makes a mistake causes the pilgrim to show really flat out (laughs) emperor style obeisance here to Cato. And maybe Cato didn't correct it because Cato isn't redeemed. Now, don't jump away from this idea. Believe me, there is a huge tradition in commentary for comedy that Cato is actually not redeemed or is redeemed in very limited ways, but much More of that on the next episode of this podcast. Virgil does say at line 66 that he's going to lead the pilgrim through this realm, your jurisdiction. Is this Cato's jurisdiction? 
is this the place where he has the say-so? Isn't this God's jurisdiction? Is that a clue that Virgil might not be right? Here's what I think. I'm going to lay my cards on the table here. The poem is buckling under the weight of Cato. I think Dante's theology is buckling. I think the poem is buckling. And these kind of questions that I'm asking are a result not of actually what's in the text, but of the buckle of the text under the weight of Cato being here as the gatekeeper of purgatory, a suicide who died before Jesus and could never have accepted the gospel from Jesus, nor was he part of any kind of Old Testament saints, to use the Christian words, Old Testament saints that were hanging out in limbo before the harrowing. Maybe (laughs) we're going to have to come back to that two episodes from now. This is a huge question. It has bedeviled the commentariat for 700 years, and there are many, many commentators who essentially say either A, this is not the Cato you think it is, I disagree with them, or B, this Cato is not redeemed, I disagree with them. And my point, well, because I disagree with them, then the poem is buckling and there are logic faults little hairline fractures appearing underneath the text. Let's start the passage again and get to the fourth line, line 52 of this passage. At that point, my master Virgil reached out for me with words, with hands, with gestures. He made me show obeisance with my knee and my brow. Then he answered the old man, I didn't come under my own steam. This is an oft commented online. What Virgil says is da me non veni. I didn't come on my own. I didn't make myself come here. And then he proceeds to essentially allude to Beatrice, a lady descended from heaven. Many commentators have pointed out that Virgil is essentially quoting Dante. Back at Inferno 10 with Ferranata and Cavalcante, when Cavalcante rises up slightly and puts his chin over the edge of the tomb that Ferranata is standing up in, Dante the Pilgrim says to Cavalcante, Dame stesso non vegno. That is, I didn't go, I didn't go on my own, I didn't come here on my own. The comments are very similar, and you should know that there is a big difference. Virgil then says, I got here because of a lady, Beatrice. Dante says to Cavalcante, I got here because of Virgil, because of that guy standing back over there. That's one big difference, but I want to tell you that I think there may be another difference here, and we should perhaps pay attention to it. What Virgil says, if I had to translate it directly in English, is I didn't come here on my own. And what Dante says back in Inferno 10 is I didn't go there on my own. I didn't go under my own steam. There's a difference, I think, between come and go. Come is about arrival. It's about getting somewhere, the destination. Go is more about departure. It's about where you started out from. It's being pushed from behind. And while I think it's interesting that Virgil may be quoting Dante the Pilgrim here, 
using a line similar to the one the pilgrim used back in the tombs of the heretics, there may be a really important difference between come and go. And it may have to do with who's being pulled. In other words, how do I say this? Virgil is being pulled forward, come. Dante is being pushed from behind, go. That may be a really important way to see the difference in the two of them when essentially they say the same line. Virgil goes on and explains why they're here. He says, if you want a more complete explanation of our condition, such as it really is, I'm certainly not the one to deny you what you wish. This man hasn't seen his last sunset, although his folly bought him pretty close to it. It's that line, per la sua folia, by his own folly. Remember I told you back in Inferno 13, in the Wood of the Suicides, with Pierre de la Vigne, that there was an important way that the pilgrim was connecting to Pierre. Not only because the pilgrim wakes up in a wood and Pierre is in a wood, but the way the pilgrim's emotional landscape is working out may lead us to think that suicide may have been the besetting sin. Well, not only was I thinking about Pierre de la Vigne in Inferno 13, I was thinking about this passage. I mean, Virgil says he's not dead yet, but his folly got him pretty close to it. That seems to raise the specter of suicide. And who else is a suicide? Cato standing right there in front of us. But there's a second reference inside this passage that we have to, of course, notice. And that is Per la sua folia, the by his own folly reminds us very much of Ulysses' folevolo, his flight of folly in Inferno 26, line 125. Ulysses was on kind of a suicide mission to the other side of the world, but also Ulysses was engaged in unbelievable overreach. So Virgil seems to posit that Dante's overreach was before the journey, not in the journey. This isn't the folly. The folly happened before the crazy, mad overreach such that Ulysses brings his whole crew down. Well, that kind of folly is what got the pilgrim into the wood, not what's keeping him walking. Let's keep going in the passage. As I said, Virgil goes on, I was given a mandate to go to his aid. There was literally no other way except this one that I've pressed him onto. Now, I want to tell you that when we reach the end of Purgatorio, we're going to have to rethink those lines big time. Oh, my gosh. Beatrice is just going to mess everything up. That idea of there was no other way except this one. Oh, we're going to have to rethink that dramatically when we finally get to Beatrice. But for now, let's just put it aside and say from Virgil's perspective, Mm, not from Beatrice's. From Virgil's perspective, there is no other way except this one. I've shown him, Virgil goes on, all the enraged peoples, and now I intend to show him those spirits who are purified under your jurisdiction. So this seems to indicate that Virgil was meant to be here all along. I mean, how could Virgil intend to show him. This seems to answer that translation problem in Inferno 1. But again, that's all being answered in retrospect. How I brought him here, 
Virgil says. That would take a long time to tell. A great power from way up above has come down to help me lead him to the spot where he can see and hear you. Back to Beatrice again. What's that bit? How I brought him here? (laughs) That would take a long time to tell. There's a little bit of a joke in the passage. A long time? Well, I guess 34 cantos worth. It did take a long time. It took us two and a half years to get here. So it did take a long time. And I love the humor in the passage, except there's a way in which I think the humor is mean-spirited. Because the joke may be on Virgil. The Aeneid is unfinished. <laughs> and because the Aeneid is unfinished, Virgil says, uh, I can't tell you how we got here. I mean, it takes a lot to get through that. Well, guess who finished a poem about the journey? Dante. This may be a little joke at Virgil's expense. Here's the great poet, the great tragedian in Dante's world, who didn't finish what he set out to do. Here's he's saying, oh, gosh, it would take so long to tell you how we got here. Well, he's standing right next to the guy, Dante, who will eventually be able to tell him how they got here. The whole story, 34 cantos or two and a half years of podcast episodes. Humor with a bite. Virgil goes on. May it please you now to hail his arrival. He goes in search of, oh, here it comes, freedom, which is so very precious as he who has given up his life for it well knows. Now we know essentially that we're looking at a suicide. We still may not know it's Cato until the next three lines. But now we know somebody standing here who has committed suicide. Let's focus for a moment on the word liberta. It is here announced as the guiding principle of purgatory and the very essence of the journey. And there are many ways that it is the essence of the journey in purgatory. But you may be surprised by that. Just step back for a minute and think about it from a very Thomistic, St. Thomas Aquinas, Thomistic, Orthodox, Catholic, Christian tradition. Liberty is not the end goal of the soul, at least in fully Orthodox theology. But here, Virgil seems to say it is the what? The end result of this journey, liberta, freedom, liberty. You have two choices here. You can say that Virgil is an unreliable guide or that Virgil doesn't have it quite right, like pushing Dante the Pilgrim down in obeisance in front of Cato. Maybe Virgil's not quite up to how things go in the redeemed part of the afterlife. Or You could say Virgil is a reliable guide, and maybe so, because he does seem to know about the seven kingdoms. If so, then Virgil is cluing us in to the great thematic of Purgatorio, liberty, something that Virgil himself lacks and something that is not necessarily the end goal of the soul in a strictly monastic Christian context. But maybe Dante's great good, which may lead us out to the notion that we have entered the most human part of comedy. Virgil goes on, you know what I'm talking about because freedom didn't make your death so bitter back in Utica. Now we know. Now anybody who is of Dante's ilk would know. Suicide, Utica, ah. 
Cato. We'll talk much more about him in the next episode, where you left the garment that will shine on that glorious last day. We haven't broken any of the eternal edicts, for he is alive and Minos doesn't bind me. You see, I'm from that circle where your Marsha with pure eyes prays that you, O sacred breast, still hold her as your own. Notice how Virgil has gotten so into the legal questions. We haven't broken any eternal edicts. And then Virgil backs it up. Well, we can't have gotten here wrongly because this guy, this pilgrim, (laughs) he's still breathing. And because I come from the circle before Minos. It's true. Minos is before the lustful, before the second circle of hell. Limbo is still the first circle of hell. True. It's above Minos, but it's past Charon. So (laughs) exactly how are you here again? Explain that fully to me. Well, Virgil seems to think Minos doesn't bind me, does it? And maybe he's right. It's just interesting how Virgil becomes interested in the legality of of their presence. Because remember, Cato had first asked, have the laws of heaven been abrogated? Has some new edict been handed down? And here Virgil seems to answer him in kind. Don't worry about the law. Two father figures, both interested in the legalities, one of whom starts out by saying, well, maybe there are new edicts, that is Cato. And the other one who's saying, no, The laws are still intact, but they allow for the murkiness. And finally, Virgil ends the passage with all of this flattery about Marcia. Oh, my gosh, she prays for you, and I pray your favor because of her love for you. And if you'll let me, when I get back, I'll tell her how much (laughs) you're still here and how happy you are, and I'll let her know all about you. We did see Marcia, by the way. She's at Inferno Canto 4, line 128. She's named right there. She is married to Cato. We'll talk about that next time. We have seen her before. We do know she exists in limbo. And Virgil here becomes incredibly flattering. He's just laying it on really thick with Cato. Why is that? It seems to me that there are two answers to that question. And again, I'm going to let you kind of think this out. One, you could say Virgil is out of his depth. He becomes very flattering to Cato because in the end, Virgil's not really where he's supposed to be. He's in a new landscape that is way beyond his knowledge, and he's meeting people who are much more favored by God. So he's just out of his depth. And the flattery here shows poorly on Virgil, or it shows sadly on Virgil, out of his depth. Oh, my gosh. You know, he's got to flatter his way through this thing. Or... Are we witnessing a change in Virgil's character? Is Virgil discovering that, as my mother would say, you can catch more bees with honey than with vinegar? That is, in this new landscape, you have to kind of change your procedural. And by that, then, Virgil's character is turning. And if Virgil's character is turning then we could start to understand how he knows that there are seven realms to purgatory, how he knows this is Cato. There may be another answer to that. Maybe this is an overall project from the poet to start to change the nature of Virgil in some way. He is no longer the, what do I want to say, the brave guide who, you know, just charges through those demons with the barretters or who is sad because he can't get through the walls of dis and doesn't quite know what's about to happen. But once the angelic messenger comes, he's all free and through the doors of dis. 
he's not quite that brave character who approaches Phlegas at Styx or Karen at Archeron. Maybe he is changing. Maybe he's becoming a little more humble, but also a little more knowledgeable. And maybe the change isn't just in the pilgrim, but also in his guide, which is an interesting question. We're going to explore more of that in future episodes of this podcast. Right now, I'm not going to read this passage again because we're going to do it again, this time focusing on Cato and Marcia, not on Dante and Virgil. Hang tight, and we're going to come back to these questions about Cato, which are gigantic enough to disrupt the whole poem. Thanks for being here. Wow. Podcasts are crazy. There are hundreds of them out there, and somehow in this giant landscape of podcasts, you have chosen to be on this one with me. And I, I, I can't say anything except thank you, thank you, thank you. I see that we're topping the charts right now in Finland, in Sweden, and also in the Netherlands. It blows my mind. Thank you for being on this journey with me. I am so happy to be walking with Dante and with you through these incredibly wild and strange passages. Rate, subscribe to all those things you know to do, and just come back next time because we got to talk about Cato. What in the world? Cato, a suicide, a pagan suicide. What in the world? Up next on the podcast Walking with Dante, I'm Mark Scarborough. Can't wait.